podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Bowden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is the more ridiculous at cricket, whether it's England or Australia. And the current series we're about to cover is the 2013-14 Ashes, which was chosen via a Twitter poll that received a quite impressive, I, I feel, 1,234 votes. So hopefully everybody who voted is listening. I, I think that's only reasonable. Uh, yeah, one, two, three, four votes. Yeah. That's, uh, it's been pointed out to me that was that was ridiculous in itself. Yes. Uh, this is the, the the way it works bit that I always do. Uh, we, we go through the test one by one uh, and we pick out the ridiculous moments that were delivered by each side uh, the most ridiculous moment we award three points the second most ridiculous two points and the third most ridiculous one point and most points wins that test match regardless of the actual uh, official outcome of that test match we, we, we care not about the official outcome no we care nothing for that <laughs> yeah. uh uh, as for our de- definition of ridiculousness, I think I've just settled on saying that the podcast is an exploration of that now, yes. because every time I've tried to explain it, I've kind of stumbled over it, and uh, that's kind of the exercise that we're doing, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I'll be I'll be nominating England's ridiculous moments as as a proud Englishman, and Dan will be nominating Australia's as an equally proud Australian. <laughs> um, but I think before we we get into the nominations, we, we've got to have a bit of a series preamble here, haven't we? We've got to set up this yeah. series because it's an abnormal one, even by Ashes standards. It is. I like the the, the very existence of this series is, is slightly ridiculous because because it comes less than three months after the the previous series had finished. the The twenty thirteen Ashes finished on the twenty fifth of August, and this one started on the twenty first of November, which is less than three months later. Yeah, the, it was actually even. <laughs> worse than that because they're all one days and things as well yes. and obviously tour matches so the, the final match of australia's tour of england was on september the 16th and then the first <laughs> match of england's tour of australia was on october the 31st so sorry, september the 16th and october the 31st was the gap in games but obviously there was prep time and things in between yep. i just i think this, the stress for the players must have been just absolutely insane we it's a thing they always read about and talk about that the stress of playing in an ashes series but i think you have to sort of put yourself in that position and think about it to imagine what it's like I mean, this is for an England player or, or an Australia player. An Ashes series can be make or break for your career. And yep. if, if you see one ahead of you looming in the weeks or months ahead, you'd be you'd be tense for ages beforehand, just you know preparing for it and waiting for it to happen. And then it gets underway and the tension builds throughout <laughs> the entire series. You're getting more and more nervous and sort of uncomfortable, and things are going wrong, and there's things you want to address, and it's all totally overwhelming. And then once you're in that heightened state. They throw a whole extra ashes at you, which is back to the start to do it again from this sort of starting point. Yeah, it's not like they're sort of sitting around sipping pina coladas on the beach in between either. They, you know, it's only a few weeks that they're getting ready. Jonathan Trott spent that period practicing, which is, I mean, it's a, a key element of this series really, as however remembers it. He said uh, the three weeks in between wasn't time off because I was working hard in the nets, two hours, two and a half hours in the nets with Ashley Giles in the indoors. It was pretty relentless. Yeah, relentless is definitely a word isn't it yeah relentless is is the word uh, he did extra training in his days off before the first test as well he said it 
I think everyone remembers what happened to him in that test match. But I, I think just forget that. The, the real story of Jonathan Trott's tour is that unbearable build-up of tension, just like, just getting thrust into this yeah. and having no time to, to really sort of get anything sorted. And um, I, I, I still feel terrible for the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's not good. Yeah, if you, if you include the white ball stuff, they, they spent a, a little over seven months of cricket uh, playing against one another with only those you know handful of weeks off in the middle, which which is, is, uh, is, is very ridiculous. Uh, it's just everyone getting eroded. There's a whole yeah. lot of players getting gradually physically and mentally worn down one way or another. Yep. <laughs> and we will go back and do the 2013 Ashes uh, at some point because that's, uh, that's another classic ridiculous one. That, that's, that's, that's why it was one of the uh, options in the, in the poll. It uh, hung, hung in there for a while but didn't, didn't quite uh, get the win in the end. It's appropriately ridiculous that we're, we're doing <laughs> do the reverse order. order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, essentially, the, the, the logic to this uh, bizarre scheduling uh, was that uh, England wanted to get off this schedule, they, 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 and this had been uh, the case for, for many, many years. The, England would always have an away Ashes series, and then that would almost immediately be followed by an uh, ODI World Cup. And so if the normal schedule had been adhered to, they would have gone straight from a theoretical uh, 2014-15 Ashes, which is when they were originally due, into the 2015 World Cup, which they, I, they'd finally decided, no, that, that's not on. And um, yeah, they, they just wanted to, to stop having those two things so close together, which of course ensured that uh, in the 2015 World Cup, they, they were magnificently triumphant. They, they finished fifth, <laughs> fifth, fifth out of seven in Group A and missed the knockout stage entirely. So yes. That was, I mean, a better performance than some of <laughs> they they separated the two events really well, didn't they? Because they didn't have a World Cup and an Ashes within weeks of each other until 2019. Yes, the, the very next World Cup. Um, it's a very, very successful exercise. Yes. Anyway, uh, just as a little uh, little recap on the 2013, uh, England did uh, win that one 3-0. Uh, that arguably should have been 4-0. There was all kinds of nonsense there, which, uh, as we mentioned, we will get to when we... Uh, do the 2013 Ashes? Australia were just uh, terrible in that in that Ashes series. They uh, didn't really have a plan, uh, and uh, England England rightfully thumped them. Yeah, um, I mean, it's interesting that, like, I think from an Australian point of view, they, they felt like it was a catastrophe, um, which I suppose it was in that they, they got they got beaten quite heavily. But Eng- I think from an England fans' perspective, it was kind of a passive victory. They didn't really play well themselves. They had, they were down to about three bowlers by. The this point yeah uh various sort of injuries and loss of form and ian bell was the only batsman who really seemed to be functioning this was a very very strange period in ash's history when every australian was just terrified of ian bell uh it it didn't last very long but it it existed is it is it remembered as that that happened or is it does all anyone remember is shame one talking about the shermanator is that all anyone remembers in australia i I think it's pretty close i I think the i think the 2013 ashes was very very scarring when it comes to ian bell I think he doesn't. I mean, he excelled in a in a poor series, really, yeah. which is. Uh, I don't know if that really does him any favours. I mean, really, he sort of saved the series for England. He should be remembered uh, uh, for, for that. But I think it, it almost, it's sort of like, oh, well, you know, it, it diminishes his achievements because no one else seemed to be playing well. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, a highlight of the traditional pre-series phony war was Australia reporting, well, Australia reporting really on this, <laughs> on uh, England's 82-page list of catering demands, which was all <laughs> falafel and agave nectar and goji berries. This amazing pretentious stuff. Yes. Uh, every Australian had to learn how to pronounce quinoa, uh, which was which is very horrifying for all of us. Uh, this quinoa? What, what, what is this? Uh, I mean, we, we, we didn't have to learn how to pronounce it, but we, we, wanted, we, we, we had to if we wanted to make it was fun of England. It upon you, yes. and that's not really something that anyone should be subjected to. Yes. Um, and the other great thing that happened before the series actually began was England's team building exercise. Mm-hmm. And everyone remembers the the 2010-11 uh, team building exercise, uh, which was England's boot camp in Germany, where Chris <laughs> Tremlett broke James Anderson's rib and they did all sorts of physical nonsense, carrying bricks around and things. Uh, this one is less remembered because uh, it's not spoken about very much. They're, pre- they're prepared for this series by doing surveillance of terrorists in Stafford, <laughs> uh, which basically means they just had to follow someone around town. Did, 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 the, did the people know they were being followed by an England cricketer? <laughs> I presume so. <laughs> but uh, it's a nice idea that they were just sort of members of the public in Staffordshire just looking over their shoulder and seeing Boyd Rankin or someone looming over them. That's the question. Which England cricketer would you least like to be tailing you while you went about your everyday business? Well, does this does this depend on whether you know that they're in England cricket or not? Because I mean, if I, I don't particularly want to see Michael Vaughan chasing after no. me and you know hounding me. Yeah, but that's then, true. Uh, if I didn't know who they were, imagine they were all expunged from my memory. I think Chris Tramler would probably be top of the list. Seeing seeing him at the end of a dark alley eyeballing me would be pretty unnerving. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Sir Alastair Cook's robotic tendencies, where you know he's inoffensively <laughs> handsome and doesn't. Sweat. I think. I think. That, I think that would make me concerned. I had a Terminator on my tail or something. Yeah, quite credibly. Although, yeah, until he's well, yeah, he's got quite a halting speech as well. Yes, that yeah. wouldn't really. <laughs> I've got a couple of quotes about the. There's very little information. But I found a couple of quotes yeah. about the uh, the team thing exercise. Boyd Rankin said, "We seem to spend a lot of time in cars. We were told <laughs> to blend in with our environment, so it probably didn't help that I was six foot eight, which is uh, true of a few of them." Yeah. Uh, Graham Swan said, "We had to go into pubs and keep." tabs on a suspect. I'll never forget Matt Pryor wearing an England cap with three lines on it and an England jumper trying to surreptitiously order a pint of water while watching a bloke at the other end of the bar. <laughs> the image of Matt Pryor and his team gear. I'm sure Swan's exaggerating that, but it's a lovely image. What, what, what exactly was this supposed to achieve? I don't know. <laughs> it, it, uh, just bonding, presumably? But yeah. yeah, maybe. Swan reckoned they sat in a Morrison's car park for 15 hours a day in a hire car, which, I mean, I think everyone just concluded it was a waste of time. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. All right, so, so that's a that's a pretty good lead up to the to the uh, to the Ashes. So we'll uh, we'll we'll crack into the actual test now. Um, I think. Let's get into. All right, so here, here's a summary of what happened in the uh, in the real in the real uh, official result. In the boring old actual cricket. Yeah. So yeah, as always, the Ashes. Uh, begin in Brisbane uh, at, at the infamous Gabatoir, which is, uh, of course, called, called the Gabatoir because the crowd from days one to three are slaughtered and made into burgers for <laughs> the day four to five uh, visitors. Uh, Australia won the toss and they batted first and uh, the top order kind of stumbled their way to six for 132. Uh, so Australia in a little bit of trouble at that stage, but then a century partnership between uh, Brad Haddon and Mitchell Johnson uh, eventually saw them get to a reasonably respectable 295 all out. 
Uh, in reply, England were 2 for 82, which seemed reasonable enough. And then they lost 6 for 9, including 5 for 4 in 25 balls and ended on 136 all out. Uh, Australia batted again and in the second innings it was David Warner and Michael Clark who both made centuries and then Haddon and Johnson again thrashed uh, a few lower order runs and Australia declared late on day three setting England 561 runs to win. Um, did England get 561 runs to win? No they did not. They were they were bowled out <laughs> for 179 with uh, Johnson taking five for 42 and Australia got a 1-0 lead in the regular old boring ashes. Uh, now it's time to check out the ridiculous Ashes, and uh, I think I'll start with the first nomination this time because uh, okay. I've, I've got one that uh, kind of carries on from our pre-series, uh, pre-series uh, phony war. Uh, and and my first nomination is the Courier Mail. Uh, the Courier Mail were, is a uh, terrible tabloid newspaper that's based in Brisbane, and uh, they they were still very angry about Broad, uh, who hadn't walked five tests earlier at Nottingham in the first test of the 2013 Ashes series. So they decided they were going to start this uh, absurd crusade where they wouldn't call Broad by his name. Instead, they were going to go for this uh, kind of Voldemortian uh, alias of just the 27-year-old English medium pacer. And uh, that, that, that was how they intended to uh, refer to him throughout the entire series, I think it started off, although they eventually boarded it after the first test, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the Courier-Mail was kind of, you know, uh, generating all this anti-broad uh, hatred. And Darren Lehman had also done a radio interview and he'd urged all the Australian fans to make broad cry. And it kind of kind of worked among the more, you know, dim-witted of Australian fans who started selling, you know, Stuart Broad is a shit bloke t-shirts and the like. It was all, all, all very ridiculous. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, they, the 27-year-old English medium pace is their sort of chosen uh, moniker. And yeah. then Stuart Broad is a shit bloke is yeah. another one. The, the weirdest label I saw, I was reading a column um, by Wisden et- editor Lawrence Booth about this, um, just recalling the whole Courier-Mail mm. fiasco. Not fiasco, yeah. saga. Saga. And yeah. uh, Booth referred to Broad as an all-rounder, which I thought was <laughs> the strangest. I was really sort of marked it of its time. It's, uh, the idea that Broad was, you just legitimately call him an all-rounder at one yeah, time. Yeah, that, that seems very unlikely, so doesn't cool. it? Well, I was just going to segue into to my nomination as well, because it's basically the same thing. Yeah, because, right, okay. uh, um, once once uh, the, the uh, Corey Mail had made its position known, uh, Broad <laughs> went out and took five wickets on day one. Yes. And uh, strolled into the press conference with the Corey Mail tucked under his arm. <laughs> and I would like to know Stuart Broad carrying the Corey Mail into the press conference as my nomination. So. That, that is magnificent, isn't it? Uh, I, I love it so much because he, he was completely impervious to you know, all the bullshit from the media and the crowds. He, you know, he, he, knew, he knew it was like the height of, uh, you know, <laughs> height of hypocrisy for any Australian to get worked up into a frenzy about somebody not walking, and then he, he just he went with it. That was beautiful. Do we do we know if Stuart Broad owns a Stuart Broad is a shit bloke T-shirt? Because I feel like it's the kind of thing. Knowing him better now <laughs> after years of watching, it feels like it's the kind of thing he would have snapped up to to own one if they had one in his size. <laughs> I, I, I've I've seen him take photos with uh, people selling them, so I or or people wearing them. Maybe not the people who are selling them, yeah. but, he, but he's taken photos with people wearing them. So. Um, uh, yeah, he's, he's certainly uh, in on the joke, which uh, which is delightful. He just delights in this stuff, doesn't he? I think that this is one of the great sort of one of the reasons why I'm sort of nominating this is he was he was always in a ridiculous cricketer on the field, yes. getting hit for six sixes and so forth, and um, uh, 
missing terrible runouts. Yes. Uh, but this is the one sort of one of the earliest signs I can remember of the the next level ridiculousness, where he's kind of self aware about it. Yeah. Um, but also the, the guarding the Courier Mail's coverage, the um, the fact that they 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 set themselves up really. That <laughs> yeah. the the moral here is is surely if you belittle the opposition, you risk diminishing your own team because their headline in the evening after Broad had taken five wickets was English medium pace bowler skittles Aussies, <laughs> which just makes the Aussies sound shit. It's not. It's supposed to be an insult for Broad, but yeah. you're you're belittling your own team by saying that. Yeah, they, they seem quite happy with it though. The the editor wrote that column in the Guardian afterwards, explaining the position in the whole situation and uh he said of broad uh, maybe he's not such a smug pommy dickhead after all which i think is a great compliment Love yeah compliment. <laughs> I, I also liked uh the, the the next day so not after the evening uh session went out where they had to say how the english medium paces skittled the australians the next day the, the front page was actually uh they referred to him as a phantom menace which, <laughs> which i think is an insult too far i mean you, you could call people a lot of things you can't call people phantom menaces that, that's got too many negative <laughs> connotations yeah, it's definitely that's, stepping that's over the line blow. Yeah. smug bummy smug pummy dickhead is one thing <laughs> yeah phantom menace tar him with that brush and, and of course a little bit of hindsight corner here which you which you may remember hindsight is when corner. uh things are things are kind of uh ridiculous but really only in retrospect uh this this one's a, a minor hindsight corner and only by a couple of months but uh, a few months later in the white ball series uh Stuart broad uh, along with the assistance of uh, matt Pryor, stopped somebody from jumping off the sydney harbour bridge which uh, was really an uh, over-the-top kind of effort when it comes to subverting the whole shit bloke argument. So <laughs> n- n- nice bit of hindsight corner there for ridiculousness. Uh, lovely stuff. N- lovely to have a, uh, a mention of hindsight corner as well. How I've missed it. Yes. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll move on to my next nomination, uh, assuming we're done here, uh, yep. on, on all Korea Mail-related activities. And I'll, I'll go I'll get to... Uh, one one of uh, Broad's wickets, which was uh, Shane Watson, and Shane Watson's uh, one of the things I love so much. And my, my nomination is Watto uh, being caught at slip, and as as he's caught at slip, he kind of emits this uh, horrified "Oh no!" as it happens, <laughs> which which is is just delightful to hear. Oh no. One of the things I do love the most about Watto is, is you know, just just how he's always worn his heart on on his sleeve and his, you know, the sleeve that covers his enormous bicep. And <laughs> every single success uh, was was clear to see. Like every wicket was celebrated with an elated, you know, double fist pump and down crouching on the ground with with delight. And you know, when when his wicket fell, he'd trudge off the ground, head bowed like you know a muscle bound Charlie Brown. It was, it was all <laughs> everything. You could always see every emotion that uh, Shane Watson was. Uh, feeling and you know I, I've written before about uh, how Watto replaced Steve War in the Australian side and how you know the two SWs uh, could not have been more dissimilar in terms of the you know their approach to the game because Steve War never showed any kind of emotion no matter what and uh, what I wasn't afraid I uh, it is it's uh, it's so rare that you, <laughs> you actually hear I mean the only other occasion I can think of is uh, Ben Stokes uh, or <laughs> right in the ditch yes, yeah. um, <laughs> which is not quite the same sort of vibe um it took quite a long time to uh, to get sort of come to terms with Shane Watson I think probably the whole the rest of his career because I was used to robotic remorseless killer Australians and then he's a, a contradiction isn't he he's this yep. giant uh, monster of a man who's he's a gentle giant yep. but uh, yeah I couldn't really sort of 
my brain refused to accept that for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, I liked his second innings dismissal as well when he skied a pull shot. And uh, it, it is one of those which just goes straight up. And he, yep. he sort of leans back to keep his eyes on the ball after he's hit it. And you just very rarely see someone just look, arcing their backs so that they can stare immediately skywards. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of Australians found Watto's test batting disappointing over the years. But, but nobody was ever more disappointed than Watto himself uh, when he was dismissed. <laughs> no. So I, I think that's... Uh, a mark in his really, favor. Never more than that particular moment either. Yes. Order, so. Yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. Um, my next nomination is um, a fairly subtle one, actually, uh, particularly if you look at the scorecard afterwards. Uh, and it's England picking Chris Tramlett. Mm-hmm. Um, Tramlett had performed really well in the previous uh, tour of Australia, but he, he had back surgery in 2012 and he hadn't really re- rediscovered uh, pace or form since then. Um but uh, they'd had a bit of issue. I think um, Tim Bresnan had had shoulder surgery and he was also uh, on the out a bit. Uh, Stephen Finn, they were losing faith in him, so he wasn't getting picked too, uh, too often. I think he was on the tour, though. Mm. Uh, and they'd uh, they'd called up Boyd Rankin for being similar sort of stature. Yeah. Uh, the first warm-up match was billed as a bowl off between um, Tremler, Finn, and Rankin. Uh, Rankin took one for 92. Uh, <laughs> Finn took one for 123, and Tremlett took naught for 88 in the first innings. And they all went it over four and over. Yeah. Uh, Finn went it over five and over. So that was like a real <laughs> sort of fight to not be selected. Yeah. Um, Tremlett then took one wicket in the second inning and none in the next warm-up match and got picked. <laughs> he, he wasn't, wasn't exactly hammering down the door, was he? No, it wasn't. But this was kind of... I'm not really sort of picking Trembler. I'm picking the situation. England was just so desperate for a third seamer that this was... They just ended up with this. Yeah. With, with it. Uh, and I think they were a bit surprised at the, 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 the speed he was bowling. It was quite funny to see someone built like Tremlett sort of. I mean, he's, he's like, even, he's enormous now, but even mm. his playing days, <laughs> supersized. Yeah. And seeing him sort of it's like run into the wicket, the bowler, not much more than Jonathan Trott pace was just, <laughs> I mean, I think he, he did quite well. Um, it actually turned out to be his last, uh, hindsight corner again, hindsight but it turned out corner. to be his, his last test. He took one for 51 and three for 69, which is actually okay. Mm. Um, yeah, that's not bad. But I think it's more the, the way he bowled uh, the men that was his final test. Uh, and he finished his career with 53 wickets at 27 from 12 tests, which is like, it's quite a weird career. You think there's, I know there were injuries and things in there, but you feel like there, were, there should have been more tests in there if you were looking like him and performing like that. Yeah, I, I did I did some stats crunching on, on Tremlett. Uh, of England's 88 bowlers who've taken 50 wickets or more, Tremlett is 12th on the list of wickets per test. And and the eleven players above him all played more than fifty years ago. So he, he's taken. So I, you know, by by that measure, wickets per test is not not a terrible measure. Um, no, he's, he's the best of the last fifty years um, with that, with that criteria. <laughs> That's a weird start. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I I, I thought uh, you know. Yeah, just gl- just looking at the team, you know, on paper, the the third seamer l- was pretty much the only weak point in England's attack because they otherwise they had Broad, and Anderson, and Swan, which who were all fantastic bowlers. Um, so really, all they needed was this third seamer, or alternatively, you know, a, a fiery young all rounder to help bolster both the batting and the bowling. <laughs> all right, uh, I, I'm, I've saved my uh, big gun for my third third nomination here. Yeah. Uh, are, are, are you are you ready for this one? <laughs> Are you, I'm bracing myself. Yeah, get get ready for a broken fucking third nomination here. We oh. we're going for the broken fucking arm. <laughs> uh, Michael Clark's uh, infamous 
infamous threat to James Anderson. So, so to set the scene for this one, Australia uh, had declared and they'd bowled pretty much almost, almost bowled uh, England completely out. They were nine wickets down. They were roughly 400 runs ahead. So there's one wicket left to take and there was more than a day left to take it. So this is late on day, day four. Uh, Jimmy Anderson was at the crease and Mitchell Johnson was bowling. Uh, Johnson had been, you know, bowling rather well at this stage it uh quite quickly yes <laughs> so so mo- most most teams probably thought well we don't need need much sledging to gain an edge at this point this will this will probably just happen naturally uh no not not this australian team <laughs> uh <laughs> so we had uh the uh dippled debutant and current australian selector george bailey started singing he was at short leg and he started singing the jimmy 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 barmy army song presumably just to rile jimmy anderson up to you know prevent his um, you know him from surviving Mitchell Johnson uh, and Anderson uh, didn't like the singing and apparently asked Bailey if he ever thought he'd get a Barmy Army song written about him which I think in, in itself this is just such a wonderfully kind of nonsensical retort that I, I think if, if this was all that had happened this would be sufficiently absurd on its own to be nominated um, <laughs> someone's singing about the Barmy Army and someone else challenging them whether they'd ever get a song but that, that, that was just the warm-up because uh, things escalated uh, from that point the umpires kind of came in to break up this you know uh, back and forth between uh, Anderson and Bailey. And then uh, Clark came in. Clark didn't want to uh, break it up. Clark decided he was going to escalate it further. So he came in and as captured by the stump mic, he uh, told Jimmy Anderson to face up then, get ready for a broken fucking arm, face up, which is just a, a magnificent moment in uh, Australian England cricket. Yeah, Clark later described it as banter. It's, it's not great banter, is it? It's get not ready banter. for a broken <laughs> fucking <laughs> arm. No, no, there's, as banter goes it's uh, perhaps not the height of wit it's, it's not, a bit lame yes <laughs> the the thing that always struck me was that it's a, like it's a bit i'll set my brother on you i'll set my big brother on you because clark's not the man doing the thing no like it's all one it's all one good like the, the fast bowler coming in saying get ready for a broken fucking arm yeah but when it's just like this little guy who's just sort of hovering around the fringes it's just sort of like what's it got to do with you i know you're captain and everything but yeah uh, and there's the other thing is there's this I mean a lot of the talk afterwards was this this idea that some Australian cricketers have that Australia are at their best when they're aggressive, less mm. sort of defence of anything that happens like this. Yes. And just to reiterate, this this was when England were 173 for nine, chasing 561. You got to ask the question really is: Do Australia play better when they're aggressive, or is it just that they're more aggressive when they're winning? Because this is not a position where you're just like <laughs> as you say like pushing for an advantage, is it? Mitchell Johnson said about the sledging during that test. It, it was pretty quiet the whole match until sort of closer to the end, which kind of supports my position on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that it's a, it's, it's all a complete nonsense, isn't it? The whole, you know, the whole theory that Australians have to behave like dickheads to win because it's, it's just a complete mis- mistake of cause and effect. Because if if the Australian men ever need a counter example, they just have to look at the other Australian team who also seem to win a ridiculous number of matches and. As far as I've seen, at least, they don't seem to be incessantly awful people <laughs> while doing so. They just get out there and they play well and they smile and they win. So I'm no. not quite sure why the men uh, have such difficulty uh, just, you know, focusing on, on the skill sets. I mean, I think looking back on it, I mean, there's a lot of tension at the time. I mean, I talked about the tension between the two series earlier yeah. on. I suppose that's part of it. And Michael Clark, as captain, is subjected to a lot of it. And now he's feeling like here's a chance to... Uh, you know, finally win a test against England for the first time in a little while. Yeah. Um, so he's probably quite riled and quite tense. But if, if you look back on it and see the match situation and 
It just seems totally disproportionate, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 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 completely ridiculous. It's uh very very much over the top. Not 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 at all necessary. I'm quite certain that uh, Mitchell Johnson would have taken uh, Jimmy Anderson's wicket without uh, without uh, the assistance <laughs> of the sledge. Well, without wishing to diminish my um, final nomination, that's that's going to get three points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My final nomination. I'm I'm consciously I'm aware that the previous series, the 1997 Ashes, I, I picked. <laughs> about 11 batting collapses so i'm not picking England's batting collapse from this test match even yep. though even though it was a crucial part of the game and even though the impact of it when you're sort of you're looking to win an away ashes series it's all on the line and you lose six wickets for nine runs i mean it's a it's an important part of the game i mean re- imagine returning those figures as a bowler dan can you imagine <laughs> any bowler being good enough to return six for nine no it is hard to imagine but of course you're alluding to clark's best ever bowling figures <laughs> where, where he in fact took six for nine with with the ball uh that, that was when he was just a, a young pup when he was actually a pup and not just a, a very old man <laughs> with a bad back nicknamed pup uh not, yes nicknamed pup yep no, so instead I'll I'll nominate uh, Mike Carberry's second innings dismissal because it seems symptomatic of the whole the whole match for England or the whole situation England find themselves in at the start of this tour really. Yeah. Uh, which was that Michael Carberry got picked for this tour and he'd done okay in the fifth innings. He'd made forty and this time around he was he was clearly committed. I mean, in that way that fans want to see you dig in and uh, just show commitment and all that. He'd made naught uh, and he. he <laughs> He's facing his 14th ball, and he seems to have blocked it straightforwardly enough. Um, straight bat, you know, head over the ball. But it was a bit of an angled bat, and it, it trickled into his leg, and then from there back into his stumps. So even just being completely obdurate and refusing to bow to intimidation, he somehow managed to get bowled. And it just seemed to sum things up. Bowl for, a, like, a really obdurate duck. Yes. That's yeah. my nomination, final nomination. Would, 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 this, uh, would his wicket have fallen if uh, we were using those dreadfully heavy zing bales? Uh, they they, they, they <laughs> don't seem to come off, and I don't sure the ball hit the stumps that hard so i i think they would have fallen off but not bothered lighting up like the the, the mechanism would have not been triggered it was so limp yes well uh, i mean as as we mentioned uh, australia did set you know england this massive total of uh 561 to win. Uh, presumably, Michael Clark was just remembering uh, the last time uh, England toured where, where at the Gabba, where they, they made one for 517 in their second innings to save the Test. So I, I, I guess Carberry had visions of, of doing of doing similar kind of thing here to you know bat for you know two days and put on 500 runs with uh, his captain. Yeah, he fell a little way short. <laughs> a little, <question>. yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, do we have any un- unnominated moments? Um. I've only got one, yep. uh, which is um, just from listening, watching the highlights and listening to the commentary. <laughs> he says this sort of stuff all the time, but the, when Michael Clark gets his 100 in the second innings, Michael Slater shouts, You beauty, Captain Courageous! Which is just an incredibly Michael Slater. It's, just, it's terrible, <laughs> I, I isn't it? I, I can almost, I can't bear to say it myself. I felt myself fading as I was saying it. Imagine being a commentator and broadcasting that to people. It's awful, but awful Slater stuff. lacks that part of the brain which says, <laughs> don't, don't say that. That's embarrassing. It is, it is very embarrassing. This, this was pretty much peak Channel Nine nonsense era. They, they, they're just not giving a shit about the brazen partisanship <laughs> of the commentators. They just let it all go. We're going to cheer everything that. Uh, Captain Courageous. God, I, I don't even know where that nickname comes from. I'm not just sure Clark was ever known as Captain Courageous. Uh, that's what I was wondering. I was watching. Was it spur of the moment or was it something based on 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> alliteration, I think, think was it. But uh, it's uh, no, no, Captain no. Clark is alliterative. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I've I've got a, a, a moment which I would have one hundred percent nominated if it wasn't for the fact that it was it was it's pure hindsight corner. Hindsight corner. And this was uh, shortly before the uh, the the broken fucking arm moment. It would have denied us the broken fucking arm moment because uh, this is a botched run out at Nathan Lyon's end that would have otherwise ended the match. So oh, one, one of those. <laughs> another one of those, a wonderful hindsight corner <laughs> moment. Uh, on this particular occasion, uh, Lyon gathered the throw cleanly, uh, but his elbow broke the stumps just before the ball reached his hands. So uh, the the run out that would have happened was, was negated there. So if, if Lyon had ended the moment there, I, I would have been denied uh, my, my number one nomination of uh, uh, the broken fucking arm. So th- thank you, Nathan Lyon. So two Lyon. for one. You got a, a missed Lyon run out and a broken fucking arm threat. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, but in retrospect, I am a little bit furious that Joe Root didn't go on to add another 382 runs to, <laughs> to win the match and punish Nathan Lyon for his clumsy hands again. Um, the, the other kind of terrifying thing about that moment was Nathan Lyon actually having hair, which was which was a, a terrifying thing to see. I, I'm completely forgotten that he, he once had hair. Yeah, I couldn't really. I, it's one of those where you're looking at something, you can't quite, well, have you got glasses on? Is this yeah. something different? Oh, you've got hair. Yeah. He's got a slightly sort of Mekon head anyway. With yes. hair, that ex- exaggerates that. So, uh, yeah, it's even more pronounced. He suits boldness, I would say. I think he's a yes. He's a better bald. Uh, so, so, some, some of us do suit boldness. Um, Absolutely. Uh, as a uh, another another pure hindsight corner, it was just, just how weird it was to see uh, Steve Smith coming in batting at five and just nobody making any kind of big deal about him. Um, <laughs> presumably, this was because he was only averaging around thirty three at this point in his career, so it was just like, oh yeah, Steve Smith's batting. Oh, now he's out. <laughs> it was just like, and uh, the, the the final one, which is kind of more a teaser for future episodes, I guess, is uh, uh, I, I can't really nominate Brad Haddon quite yet uh, because his counter attack was was uh, wasn't particularly ridiculous. Ridiculous on its own, but it's a it's a building block for future ridiculousness, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that for now. As a kind of addendum to that, watching his partnership with uh, Mitchell Johnson in the first innings, it, this is a faintly ridiculous position of mine. But watching Mitchell Johnson bat, I really like Mitchell Johnson's batting. I really enjoyed Mitchell Johnson's batting. He has a real when when he when he went to hit a four or a six, there's a real flow, there's yes. a real proper swing. He was uh, he was a fun batsman to watch. Yeah, he's got he's got a very nice arc arc with his hit. Yeah. All right, so time for the votes. Well, broken arm. I, I, I think it's it's so ludicrous uh, that it pretty much has to be there. Um, uh, has has to be the top one. There's, I suppose there's the whole Courier Mail situation broad and the Corimel I don't know how to sort of extricate those from each other um, but I think Broken Fucking Arm is more ludicrous uh, uh, yeah I, I, I think so I think it's down <laughs> I, I, yeah and it's pretty much what most of the series is remembered for I mean yeah in terms of ridiculousness anyway uh, you may remember other aspects of the pure cricketing side of the series but uh... even everything that came afterwards I, I was watching uh, Michael Clark's um he was interviewed by Cricket Australia about it in what was clearly an attempt to sort of like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when it was recorded, but he was clearly sort of trying to distance himself from it. Yeah, It may even have been years later. I, I think it was years but, later because I watched the same one. Uh, the, 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 actual, the actual highlights at the time that, that came out, you know, the days later, completely, you know, eliminated you know, the, the broken fucking arm that just skipped that yeah. bit entirely. So the interviewer says it was uh, an infamous incident or something like that. Clark says infamous or regrettable. You mean it's just <laughs> it just carries on being awful. 
yeah. think Harry Styles being embarrassing for everybody, even in even when being reviewed. Yeah. Oh God, we're not making a grave error by covering it now. Yeah, yeah, very, very possibly. Uh, personally, I think uh, Broad taking the Korea Mail on at their own game escalates the ridiculous enough that that I, I think it actually means that Broad with the Korea Mail beats the Korea Mail. I, I think you you challenge. So you're ridiculous... arguing for the in favour of the the England nomination over the Australian. I think so. I, I, I just I just like uh, Broad just escalating the whole Korea Mail nonsense. I, that, that tickles me. But I like that the Korea Mail stuck <laughs> with it, uh, even after he'd performed well. Yeah. I would. I think the Korean. I'm going to push for the Australian nomination. I think that was this has just evolved into a shambles. All right. <laughs> so uh, it, it doesn't really matter ultimately which order those two go in. No, because the points wise, if you if you get top and one of the other ones, then uh, you win, you take you the test. Big Australia, just to remind everyone. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, broken fucking arm and courier mail combined. I mean, I'm I'm not going to seriously push for my car break to be honest, uh, no. or picking Chris Tramler. I mean, that that really sums something up. But I don't feel like it's 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 nowhere near as striking as those two. No, I, so so I think uh let, let, let's say broken fucking arm three points, courier mail two points, and broad uh, uh coming in with the courier mail get, gets uh, a, a salvation point for England. So Australia take the first test of the 2013-14 Ridiculous Ashes, uh, proving one again, once again that they, they are impossible to beat at the Gabba. <laughs> so I think that's pretty much it. Thank you for li- all for listening. Uh, you can check out Alex's website, which is at... kingcricket.co.uk. And you can check out Dan's at... Uh, I'm at liebcricket.com. That's L-I-E-B cricket.com. You can follow us both on Twitter. You can follow the, the podcast itself in case you want to get involved in any future polls, which we may or may not do for the next series. Uh, uh, that's at Ridiculous Ashes. Uh, you can also follow at The King's Tweets if you want Alex, or you can follow me, I'm at Lieb Cricket. And we'll be back in a week with our coverage of the second test of the 2013-14 Ridiculous Ashes. So uh, subscribe to the podcast to, to get that next episode. And of course, as always, give us your honest five-star ratings on the podcast store of your choice, and we'll see you all next week. Podcast Network.